0: Listening to the Padawan Perspective podcast, a multi-generational Star Wars experience. Brought to you by the Star Wars Report Second Airborne Division Podcast Network, with your hosts Mark, Barrett, Taylor, and Pharaoh. Join us as we discuss the Rebels TV show on Disney XD, as well as Star Wars fandom across the galaxy. On the Mandalorian perspective, the multi-generational podcast of the Star Wars Report Second Airport Podcast
1: Division.
2: Welcome Sweet. to the Padawan Perspective, your multi-generational podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jedi Master Mark Herleman, and joining me today we have my Padawan daughter, Taylor Jade. Hello. And from our Southern Cali Jedi Enclave, we have Jedi Master Baron Lawton and his Padawan Pharaoh, as well as our own Star Wars Celebration Orlando correspondent. Glenn Stein. Hello.
3: Hey, Glenn. Nice to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. This is Barrett. This is Farrah.
2: Glenn, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, man. I mean, we're we're throwing you out there as our official Celebration Orlando correspondent, but uh, they're not completely new to hearing you. You've actually been on a couple episodes so far. Yeah, I was on episode
4: zero, and I don't know what number we're on now, but that's a number of episodes ago. I don't know, I'm up to all sorts of things. This will be my uh, seventh celebration. I've been to every domestic celebration except for the first one. Nice. And this will be my first time having a media badge, so I'm excited about that. My main goal right now is to attend the Rebels panel and actually get into the main room. It seems like this year they're simulcasting several panels in multiple rooms, not just... The one big first panel, like they did last yeah. time in Anaheim, uh, the, I believe the Rebels panels in three rooms, the Last Jedi panels in three rooms, and the 40th anniversary panel is in at least three rooms. And you can uh, sleep out for those. I'm not sure. I'll probably just go at 5 o'clock in the morning or something like that.
2: <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's definitely uh, nice that they're given that option. It's like you have until midnight to get in line,
4: and then you will lock the building and stay inside, and then they'll open it up again at 5.
2: I I don't need to be there that
4: badly. I don't see anything uh, about the Freemaker Adventures. I have heard that it got renewed, and it is going to be airing this summer, but I don't see anything on the schedule about it.
2: Interesting. Interesting. See, I hadn't even heard that it was going to be renewed.
4: I haven't heard that it's been renewed, but I've heard there are new Lego toys coming out.
2: Oh, okay. That's really, I
4: guess, the only thing that I've heard.
2: Okay, well, that's almost a bummer. You know, they may not go past that first season and that first season was kind of fun But you know if you had toys for season two, you're like, oh, well, it's a no-brainer You're gonna get a second season quick question for you Padawans now you both have gone to celebrations stuff Would you guys camp out to go to a panel or would you guys be one of those just? Uh, leaf on the on the wind and kind of blowing about
5: well Depending on which panel it was I mean like while well, we were originally gonna go to one of them really early But then we ended up spending like three hours in line Thankfully, we were able to see uh, people in costuming and stuff like that walk past and get pictures with them and see how cool that was. But like, I don't know if I'm willing to sleep outside and stuff like that. Depending on weather too.
2: So. What about you, Farrell?
1: I've never really slept out during a convention. Rather than trying to get in Hall H at Comic Con, was it Hall H? Yeah, it was Hall H. Hall H. That was that was a good experience though, because that was the one year where that they had a Star Wars panel and they took everyone out to go to a Star Wars festival. But there was still one person oh. show left, and his show got abandoned because ev- they took everyone out, and <laughs> yeah. So, Eddie, that was a really good year to, to, to camp out, but I don't know if I would be willing to you know, do that often.
3: Fortunately, at the conventions, and, I, and not so much at Star Wars Celebration, but definitely at Comic-Con, you have to have a team of people. One person stays in line the whole day, and the next people actually camp out the whole night, and then the person that stayed in line meets the people that camped out, and they can all go in at the same time. It's really <laughs> a group effort with the, with the Jedi Masters and the Padawans.
2: The true A team. I love it when a plan comes together. We
1: should totally do that. You always have to find <laughs> a line, buddy. Like, like that's 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 the stretch.
2: It sounds like you almost have to have the good experience to push you over the hurdle. Because Taylor's talking about opening ceremony at Celebration Anaheim. I did have the option. I could have been with the We Talk Clone guys now. Ion Cannon also on our network. They went down early, and they offered for me to go, but I was like, no, I'm gonna do the whole family thing. So we ended up showing up pretty much right on time, and we spent the whole opening ceremony outside in line uh so that wasn't so fun and then taylor wasn't there when gavin and i went and saw some of the other panels later and yeah taylor ended up going to disneyland but we ended up bumping elbows with matt wood uh uh, pablo hidalgo henry gilroy uh it it was just crazy because at the time like we were running into some of these people we didn't even realize that's who they were like matt wood that, that was one of those we were just like Oh, did you, William's like, did you know who that is? We're like, no, no, I have a clue. So I think, like, once you've had one of those experiences, like you've talked about, Pharaoh with Hall H, you know, once you get that adrenaline going, I think then you kind of recognize the allure of what it is. I know for, for like, maybe me and Barrett, you know, the podcasting side gives you a chance to sit down with other fellow fans who are digging this, this fandom, this franchise that we enjoy so much, kind of get those other points of views. And we could sit there, bust open a recorder and start working on some gold.
3: <laughs> so, Glenn, since you are now our special. What are we is our special events reporter or our special star wars celebration orlando reporter
4: well i think of special events if i report on the disneyland hat star wars half marathon then i'm the special events reporter but if i don't (laughs) report on that then i'm just the star wars celebration reporter
3: i like special events reporter you know we threw you in you offered actually we threw you in you offered to cover the half marathon now you run these marathons every year how was that the the half marathon? Talk a little bit about that real real quick.
4: Well, first, it's a half marathon. It's only thirteen point one miles. I will never in my life. I absolutely promise. Run a full marathon unless I'm offered like huge amounts of money, and I don't know if I can even do it because I can I can I can get through thirteen point one miles. I don't think I can get through twenty six point two. I did both the uh, light side and dark side half marathons last year and got the Kessel Run medal. The light side is at Disneyland, the dark side is at Disney World. This year, I did all three races at Disneyland, which is the 5K, the 10K, and the half marathon. And for doing the 10K and the half marathon, which is the Rebel Challenge, you get another medal for that. This year, the dark side half marathon is the week after celebration. So, (laughs) which was, I think, horribly timed. A large number of people I know that came last year for the half marathon are coming for celebration and going home and not coming back. And I will be one of those people.
1: You know, now that you've ran all these marathons, how how, how hard do you think it would be for a Padawan to finish them?
4: To run the half marathon, there actually is an age minimum of like 14 or 15.
1: Oh, okay. Oh.
4: The 10K has a lower minimum. I think the 5K doesn't. I'm not really sure if it has the minimum. And it may vary on other races. You know, the Princess Marathon races may have lower age numbers. I don't, I'm don't. i not certain. I would think that you could easily do the 5, 5K. There are time limits. You know, some people have trouble meeting up, you know, beating them. But I think, you know, kids have enough energy that they should be able to run the whole thing. And the, the problem you get into is stopping for the photo ops. For the 5K, I was fine on time and still I stopped for like 40 minutes to get my picture with R2-D2 and C-3PO. <laughs> for the 10K, there weren't wasn't much new in terms of the photo ops. So I just ran the whole way or walk ran, whatever, the whole way and didn't do any photos. Yeah, th- Then during the half marathon, I did a lot of the photo ops. They had a couple hard stops where if you weren't up with the pace person at this point, they like blocked the race and you're done. So I, mean, I had to run really fast on so like mile 11 was like my fastest mile of the whole race just to make sure I got ahead of the pace at that point so I could finish. <laughs> They're like, I this is a disintegration
2: 11 line no one gets out right glenn we really
3: do appreciate you being our special correspondent giving us a little snippet of the half marathon at disney you know i've thought about taking my padawan a few times except for i like sitting on the couch so (laughs) uh, i'm glad that you were able to go out there and and let us know and it
2: sounds like something that
3: you'd be interested in right padawans yeah i
1: mean yeah it seems pretty cool
2: And speaking of marathons, we got two episodes we're going to be covering at once this time around. Pharaoh, you got the uh, description for us this time?
1: Ghosts of Geonosis is a two-part episode and winter premiere of Star Wars Rebels. It is the 12th and 13th episode of the show's third season. The episode features the Star Wars Rebels debut of Saul Gerrera, a character featured in the television series Star Wars The Clone Wars and the feature film Rogue One, a-, a Star Wars Story. The episode aired on January 7th, 2017 on Disney XD. The official description reads, After legendary Saul Gerrera and his rebel squad go missing on Geonosis, the ghost crew is sent to investigate
5: the alternative description
1: reads the crew returns to
5: geonosis in a search of a missing rebel team sent to investigate suspicious activity there and they are surprised by what they find after finding a missing rebel team member the ghost crew discovers another surprise on geonosis and they work to conceal it from the imperial forces winky face
2: winky face dun 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 now before we jump into this episode i asked my star wars beyond the film co-host nathan p butler to come in and hold a continuity 101 for us because we asked what's going on with the death star anginosis so between legends and canada there have been so many questions and issues that arose
6: we had nate come in and break us down so with that nate we turn to you hello padawan perspective team and listeners i'm nathan p butler or just nate Mark's partner on Star Wars Beyond the Films, another Star Wars podcast at StarWarsReport.com. I'm also a teacher and the creator of the most detailed Star Wars chronology document out there, the Star Wars Timeline Gold at StarWarsFanWorks.com slash timeline. So Mark asks that I provide a continuity 101 lesson on the Death Star, Saul Guerrera, and how Star Wars canon ties things together into something bigger than any single story. This time, we'll be connecting the films... The Clone Wars TV series, Rebels, the novels Catalyst and Tarkin, and even the Darth Vader comic series a little bit. The Death Star started out as the Deep Space Mobile Battle Station, a superweapon being developed by the Geonosians, led by Poggle the Lesser, a little while before the outbreak of the Clone Wars. It was probably developed at the urging of Count Dooku, who had already emerged as the leader of the Separatist movement that was trying to break away from the Republic. Open war had not broken out yet, though. War finally did begin at the end of Attack of the Clones, with the First Battle of Geonosis. As the tide turns against the Separatists, Poggle gives the plans to the Death Star to Count Dooku, so they can be kept safe with his master. Of course, Poggle had no idea that Dooku's master is Darth Sidious, who is actually Supreme Chancellor Sheev Palpatine of the Republic, so he just gave the Death Star plans to the enemy. That's the kind of thing that happens when you have two Sith each running one side of a war in order to manipulate the situation so that Palpatine can create a new Sith-ruled empire. The whole galaxy was being played for fools. Instead of using the Death Star plans immediately, Palpatine keeps them in reserve for a bit, looking for an appropriate time to hand them off to Republic engineers to actually start building one. A few months into the Clone Wars, there's a second Battle of Geonosis, which we see in the second season of the Clone Wars in the episodes Senate Spy, Landing at Point Rain, Weapons Factory, Legacy of Terror, and Brain Invaders. During that battle, Poggle is finally captured by the Republic. As we learn in the novel Catalyst, shortly after that battle, Palpatine uses the battle and Poggle's capture as a cover to claim that this was when the Republic actually recovered the Death Star plans from Geonosis. He then hands them off to the Republic's Special Weapons Group, whose members include Orson Krennic. The Republic decides to build a Death Star because, by their logic, if the Separatists created the plans, they surely must be trying to create a Death Star of their own. So the Republic must create one first. It's a bit like in real life, where countries were in an arms race for years to see who could develop nuclear weapons first in order to have an advantage. For Star Wars canon, we finally get an answer on why it took decades to build the first Death Star, but only a few years to build the second. It turns out that building the actual base isn't all that difficult, just a lot of work. The trouble was always in figuring out how to make the super laser work, and getting that right is what took decades. For the second one, they already knew how to make it work. So in Catalyst, we see the Republic very quickly building the prime meridian and equatorial rings for the Death Star over Geonosis. So they're ready to actually start filling in the battle station with various modules and offices and that sort of thing. This is going to require a huge labor force. So Krennic, who's overseeing the Death Star project at the time, makes a deal with Poggle. The Geonosian leader gets out of prison and gets sent back to Geonosis and put back into power. But he then has to mobilize the Geonosian population into a huge workforce to actually build the Death Star. Critic knows, though, that getting the superlaser to work will be extremely difficult. He needs the best mind in the field of energy generation and kyber crystals. It turns out that one of his old friends from back when he was in the Futures program, a sort of special college-like program for technological geniuses in the Republic, was Galen Erso, who is just the kind of brilliant expert he needs. However, Galen doesn't want to serve the military or any government. He doesn't really want to pick a side in the Clone Wars either. He just wants to do his scientific work with his wife Lyra and be left alone. When the planet Galen's research team is on, Vault is taken over by Separatists, Galen gets imprisoned. While he's imprisoned, Lyra gives birth to baby Jin. Krennic then sets up a trade of prisoners that frees the Ursos, but it's not out of the kindness of his heart or his fondness for his old buddy. Instead, it's the beginning of Krennic slowly manipulating Galen into working for him. As the Clone Wars near their end, Poggle escapes from Geonosis in Catalyst to join the Separatist leadership on Utapau as we see in Revenge of the Sith. He then continues on to Mustafar in the film, only to end up killed by Darth Vader near the end of Revenge of the Sith. That keeps us with the novel Catalyst. With the Clone Wars over and Palpatine declaring the creation of the Empire, the galaxy changes, but the idea for the Death Star simply becomes a plan to use its incredible power to keep peace, by presenting a strength that no one would dare challenge. Krennic keeps on manipulating Galen, getting him a crappy job that he knows Galen won't end up enjoying at all, until he finally is able to connect with Galen again and brings him on to what he calls Project Celestial Power. He knows that Galen is working on the idea of using kyber crystals to generate immense amounts of energy, but he also knows that Galen would never work on a weapons project that's meant to kill. Instead, he convinces Galen that his work will be used to provide clean, virtually unlimited energy to planets all over the Empire to better the lives of everyday citizens. All the while, every breakthrough Galen makes is passed along to Krennic's other scientists, who test its usefulness in creating a weapon. Finally, about two years after the Clone Wars ended in Revenge of the Sith, Krennic is able to pull off a successful test of Galen's energy breakthroughs, firing a sort of miniature Death Star superlaser off of a Star Destroyer. Unfortunately, Galen and Lyra have become suspicious of Krennic and what Galen's work is actually being used for, and they eventually discover the truth, that his work is at the heart of a superweapon project. Over their time working with Krennic, the Ursos have met a smuggler that Krennic was also manipulating into doing his dirty work, a guy named Haz Obit. But that smuggler has had a change of heart and began actually fighting the Empire in a place called the Salient System. One of Obit's allies there was Saw Guerrera. Who we met back in the Clone Wars episodes, A War on Two Fronts, Front Runners, The Soft War, and Tipping Points, when the Jedi trained Saw and his sister Steela's forces on Onderon to fight the Separatists. When the Empire rose after the Clone Wars, Saw continued to fight, this time against the Empire, and he wound up working with Obit on this particular mission. The result is that when the Ursos decide to leave Krynnik, leave the work, and get away from Coruscant to go into hiding two years after Revenge of the Sith, Obit is able to put them in touch with Saw, who rescues them and takes them into hiding, eventually to the planet Lamu by the end of the novel Catalyst. That's the planet where Rogue One begins four years later. Losing Galen, though, is too big of a failure for Krennic to go without a response, so Grandmoth Moff Wilhuff Tarkin is put in charge of the overall Death Star project, with Krennic still overseeing the super laser work, but not overseeing the whole thing anymore. He's been demoted. No wonder the guy's so testy about Tarkin and their relative positions in the Empire in Rogue One. We then see a bit of Tarkin actually overseeing the Death Star project while dealing with other issues there after the Ursos escape from Krennic in the novel Tarkin, also by Catalyst writer James Luceno. By the end of that novel, Tarkin is able to basically take the Death Star out for a test drive, then returns it to Geonosis so work can continue there. One year after that... Thirteen years before most of Rogue One and all of A New Hope, Krennic discovers the Urso's hiding on Lamu, kills Lyra, and takes Galen back to work on the Death Star against his will. We see that, of course, in the opening of Rogue One. He will spend years working from the inside on the project, using a giant kyber crystal to work slowly on getting the super laser to work. That kyber crystal, by the way, the giant one, is the same one that the Republican Separatists were fighting over in the unfinished story reels for the Clone Wars that were on the Season 6 Blu-ray set and StarWars.com called Crystal Crisis on Utapau. The Jedi tucked it away for safekeeping after that story, and when the Empire took over all Jedi facilities after Order 66, they found it and eventually handed it off to Galen for his research. During Galen's time working on the Death Star, he made sure that the main reactor using his power breakthroughs would be unstable, so it could be destabilized further, and then start a chain reaction that would destroy the station. He also, probably without realizing it, caused the station to have the very exhaust ports that Luke would fire a proton torpedo into to blow up the station years later, causing the chain reaction that he did plan. See, there was concern over what to do with all this excess exhaust and such from the main reactor, and when Galen presented several ways to deal with it, the only way that was cheap and a quick solution was just to stick in some exhaust ports, which is exactly what the Empire ended up doing. We learned that in the Rogue One novelization. Meanwhile, Saw kept on looking into the Death Star, based on his own research and things that Galen told him about before he was captured by Krennic. He eventually gets so close to finding the Death Star that four years after Galen's capture, nine years before Rogue One and A New Hope, Tarkin moves the Death Star away from Geonosis and takes it to Scarif. To maintain secrecy, The Geonosians, then, are all basically wiped out. We actually see that the Geonosians are all wiped out, that the Death Star is gone, and that remnants of the construction work are still sitting around in Geonosis orbit when the Ghost crew visits Geonosis briefly in the Rebels episode The Honorable Ones in Season 2, about six years after the Death Star was already moved away to Scarif. About a year after that Rebels episode, Saw finally figures out that the Death Star was being built at Geonosis, and goes there to investigate, only to be obviously too late. That's when the Ghost crew meets him, when sent to assist him in the Rebels Season 3 episodes, Ghosts of Geonosis Parts 1 and 2. During those episodes, they meet Click-Clack, a Geonosian protecting their last queen egg. That egg will later birth a new queen, who will populate an underground area with droid versions of Geonosians until Darth Vader arrives soon after A New Hope to take away the droids and make them his own army, in the first arc of the Darth Vader comic series entitled Vader. By the time of Rogue One then, two years after the Rebels episode where they meet Saw and Click Clack, Saw has gotten more extreme and basically severed most of his ties to the other Rebel factions, which had only just formed into a single Rebel alliance after Mon Mothma's speech in the Rebels episode Secret Cargo. By that point, Galen has also gotten the super laser into working order, and Krennic is ready to test it for Tarkin. Galen, though, has provided transport pilot Bodie Rook with a message about the Death Star and its vulnerability that he has Bodhi take to Saw, kicking off the events of Rogue One. And we all know how Rogue One plays out by now, but I would offer one interesting little tidbit of continuity that Rogue One handles well without calling attention to it. See, back in 1977, A New Hope was a bit confusing about the Death Star plans. They're referred to as stolen data tapes, as a transmission beamed to Leia's ship by rebel spies, and seen when Leia loads him into R2-D2 as being on a data card. So, what were they? Are we talking data tape, transmission, data card, something in between? Well, as we saw in Rogue One, they were stolen data tapes on Scarif. Then Jin, a rebel spy, beamed them to Admiral Radis' profundity, where Leia's V4 was docked for repairs, and then a rebel transferred the data from the ship's computer to a data card that was then handed to the crew of the Tantive 4 just as that ship escaped to kick off the chase that begins A New Hope. So it was actually all three. A data tape, a transmission, and a data card. Now that's some fancy continuity fixing. And this has hopefully been an interesting and enlightening Continuity 101 lesson. Thanks, Nate. That was great.
2: Yeah, there's so much going on in the realm of what happened originally in Legends that it's oftentimes confusing what happened in canon. And the story group has gone out of their way to kind of make this a cohesive story as we're about to get into. One of the things, though, that I thought was interesting is that people that pay attention to certain details, you know, those little things... They really stand out. Uh, One of the things I think that this episode really stands out for me is Saw Gerrera himself. You know, we see the actor that plays Saw Gerrera and he's got a different set of eyes than what we saw in the Clone Wars and stuff. And these are those little types of continuity things that the story group has gone out of their way so well to tie together with this. So let's go ahead and jump mainly right into this full force, going straight into it. Uh, The Ghost crew, they get a message from command. Turns out it's actually Bail Organa himself. And they've got a report about a disappearance from a team on Genosis. Now, this is what Nathan was talking about, the team that saw when he got really close to the Death Star. This is what happened. They disappear, so now we've got to find out why
5: i loved how this episode focused on family just all throughout the episode they were all explaining how family was important and how some people should know what it means to lose a family because like was it, it was the geo Ocean with the uh, queen bee's egg and how he was gonna destroy it and stuff
1: I saw he instantly relates to that because then he remembers about his sister that was that was mentioned earlier in the episode and you know during clone wars I thought these episodes were really good, but like a character I didn't like in these episodes were probably the bug alien thing or click clack This is the name they gave him. I, I didn't like him cuz cuz the whole the whole thing the whole time. He's just with This auto-tune voice like this hyphen like, the whole time it really made me mad cuz he was a big part of of the second episode, you know, he was barely getting introduced in the first one, but in the second episode, he was just talking a lot, but all he could say was click clack. Gosh.
3: Was his name click clack, or was that something that just Ezra just pulled out of thin air? You know, Ezra was a little racist this episode, wasn't he? <laughs> He just kind of reminded me how, like, how people talk to people who don't really speak the English, and they use big gestures and talk really (laughs) slow, and it's like, Ezra... Come on, man! You're not making the Padawan look That was look comical,
2: good here. though. I mean, because you got even going. Let's let Ezra talk to him. He's really going. Then he starts like he's out with the big. And we're not
1: here right. to hurt oh, you. Oh my goodness! And then he had his hand all up in the air. We are trying to find something.
3: It's like when I how uh, when I was talking to my Padawan when he was five or something. You know, <laughs> very condescending there, Ezra one of the things that we have to give them though is they can always understand the language there's always someone in the ghost crew that comes across a droid or a different alien or some other language but someone can always understand it here's a time where we meet this alien and nobody can really understand this alien's language which goes along with the story because i guess he just couldn't come out and say hey we're building a death star you know they have to draw in the sand but I thought it was interesting that this society or the, these people, maybe because of the fact of who they have allied themselves with in the Clone Wars and and maybe they kind of shunned themselves before that that people don't really talk their language. They don't really know these 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 creatures. <laughs>
2: Did you get a cannibalistic vibe? Like, you know, we never really saw what Click Clack did with the Rebel team. We just saw their guns and their helmets. No blood, no splatter, no bones, no nothing. Like, they're gone. What what happened there?
1: You know, Saul never mentioned his team either.
2: You know, the uh, Rogue One visual guide, we find out that he gets poisoned by the same poison that they find at the bottom of that shaft. And I was, I was expecting the whole time, like, well, this is where it happens. He's in that suit, but he doesn't have the little breath mask part that comes up that he holds to his face. So maybe we can assume he hasn't been poisoned yet. Like, that was something that really wasn't established.
1: He, he still has both of his legs in these episodes, too. Like, because, you know, in the, in Rogue One, he has robotic legs like Darth Maul. But in, he had both of his legs in this one.
3: And this takes place, according to Nathan, two years before Rogue One. He has one leg in Rogue One. That's his. No, I don't think no, so. He, both he of has his legs and both. Yeah, both of his legs are robotic.
2: The Rogue One visual dictionary shows him still having one human leg, but by the time of Rogue One itself, he's actually got two very distinctive. They're not the same, but they are two different robotic legs even. We'll
3: not argue about it. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I really liked about both of these episodes was the fact that we get Saw Guerrera in a different part of his life. You know, every time we've seen Saw, he basically looks totally different. I don't know how... Does he have brown eyes or green eyes here? He has blue eyes in Alderaan, he has green eyes here, and he has brown eyes in Rogue One. No, he's the same character. He's just wearing a Fortis Weirder costume.
2: Maybe it was the poison. Maybe it was uh, an eye-changing... (laughs) This is one of those episodes that when I first watched it, I thought it was really good. It felt like the pacing worked, but the more I started to rewatch it, the more I was like, maybe this could have been condensed into one episode. Like the first episode had that horror feeling because they were drawing out the suspense, but now I'm kind of like, I don't think they really needed that. I feel like the major plot point of this story is them getting the shield unit four chopper base. Like everything else seems it feels like fluff because I mean they didn't even get the poison. Yeah, add on. Exactly. They didn't get the poison. They lose the poison. I was like, what was the point, Tay? There wasn't very much to
5: the extra stuff.
2: So it was <laughs> just just yeah, the shield generator?
5: It just came it did, yeah. Um yeah, it just turned out like they wanted to get the shield generator. Didn't they not end up getting it in the end?
2: No, that's the one thing they got. They actually yeah, they came away with that. And we also found out that Sabine has a version for Sand.
1: The click-clack, you know, he tried to kill them in the first episode. And Ezra just, like, trusts him for some reason. Why does Ezra trust anybody that tries to kill them? Like, he trusts click-clack, he trusts Darth Maul. He, like, he trusts a lot of people that have tried to kill him. He
3: trusts Hondo.
1: Yeah, exactly. They
5: They should show an episode of Ezra getting, like, pretty badly hurt just because of that.
2: Exactly, yeah, well, yeah, he, That's a new he tries to justify it to, well, everybody wiped out his people. He's just defending himself. And I'm like, what did he do with the bodies? Like, okay, like defending yourself is one thing, but you've cleaned up like it's a CIS crime scene,
3: man. You know, we wiped out the Nazis too, Ezra. Uh, <laughs> some things need to be wiped out, the face of the earth. You see there's no dragons around. <laughs> Ezra does have a trusting nature. And when I was watching the episode, I kept asking myself, do I trust this guy? You know, and and I, at one one part of the episode, I was on Ezra and Kanan's side, and then on another part of the episode, I was on Saw's side. I'm like, yeah, you better destroy that egg because you know, uh, what if it's a face hugger? You know, what if he's a face hugger at first? You know, you never know with these guys. is got born in the Clone Wars. Okay, so he's a cute face hugger. <laughs> well they're not face huggers. No, I know, I know. But they're the way they were calling it a queen egg, and again, we don't know what happened to the other team that's there. Saw not mentioning the team was really weird. I'm glad you brought that up, Padawan. There was really a weird kind of episode. Like you said fluff, but it did give us more background into Saw. I guess, he's not as crazy as he is in Rogue One. He is not as patient and as smart as he was in the Clone Wars. He was still kind of not trusting. We went back and watched the Onderon arc, at least part of it in preparation for this show and Saw was always kind of not trusting and willing to take risks, this brings it to a whole new level. Well, he's ready to basically torture a prisoner, you know, or or the thought of torturing, or the thought of of causing harm to someone to get what he wants. And this is something new than what we've seen from the Clone Wars, and of course in Rogue One.
1: More Gullet, yeah. lies, <laughs> deceptions. More Gullet. Yeah, saw in in this ep or in these episodes, both of them, he's been like he was pretty mean. I mean. I I was still I, like like my dad said like I kind of wanted him to to kill the egg but it's like he was so aggressive with these like <laughs> kind of saying, and then he just. You know, he was he was pretty aggressive during this
2: episode. Taylor was mentioning the family aspect, and I think it was around that where Ezra really starts hammering it home to Saw. He finds the picture of, of Stila, and he's just like, you know, you, you lost your sister. You're trying to do this for family. Well, he's just trying to defend his family, too. And then you've got Kanan going, you know, it's not worth wiping out an entire species. That makes us just as bad as the Empire. But... Saw, he's willing to do it. I, and I think like, that's one of the aspects about Saw that Hera immediately, like she doesn't trust him. And I think that that's one of the things about Saw. Like if Hera doesn't trust you, like like in this case, she's like the family dog. Like if, if she don't trust you, you don't get in the house. Like yeah. <laughs> you, you don't go against Mama Bear in this case. And Mama Bear's instincts are saying no. Uh, he has his moment. He'll say something or do something and you're all
5: like, oh, I trust him. And then like two seconds later, you're all like, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know anymore. And so it's like, Back and forth, depending on what he does.
2: I don't even feel like he got the answers that he wanted. and yet, He didn't. At times, though, it's like because of the way ClickCock was making the circle within a circle, they kept misinterpreting everything. I mean, clearly it was supposed to be the Death Star. But at one point, we think it's the Queen's egg. Then another point, we think it's the poison containers. And at that point, when they get to the poison containers, like all of a sudden, saws like, yeah, we'll let him go. What flipped the script for you, saw? Like you weren't willing to let this guy out of your sight before, and now you're willing to let bygones be bygones because hey, the Empire poisoned them, and that's okay. Or did he think like, oh well, maybe they were building poison, and the poison factory blew up? Like that didn't make any sense to me. And then he gets on, he's like, I still want to know what they were building there. I'm like,
1: wait, these episodes are confirmed to be you know two two years out or before Rogue One. So where's Jin? I mean, you know, like like Saul raised her. So where's she at?
3: That is a good question, Padawan. Where is Jin? She's in jail. Is she in? jail? So, how long has she been like, in four jail? Four or five years. She was in jail for four or five years. No, no, she he he abandoned her already. Because I don't remember in Rogue One where Jin was very specific on how much time has it been she just says the last time i saw you you handed me a knife and you took off on me but they don't really say how much she doesn't really say the length of time between there so
4: well it's not like it's been two years it's been like longer
2: we know she was 16 when he left her and i think they said she's like around this time, maybe a little bit older than that. So, I mean, the question is is how long was she in jail? Because we know at the beginning of Rogue One, that's where she's sitting. Well, she's not does to go from being left to being in jail. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, but at some, some point she week. gets arrested. So, we, yeah, it could have been she two days before Rogue identity. One, or it could have been six months. There's, there's really no way to tell at this point until the more details arise.
4: Interesting. Interesting. I mean, she has to come up with this fake identity before she can get arrested as this fake person. So...
5: There was a really cool moment when Kanan and the guys were crossing the bridge, but there was no bridge. So he tore down the other bridge and brought it down with using the force. I thought that was pretty sick. That, yeah, that was. I that was
1: <laughs> I love, I
2: love the, the I love commentary. That. Now, now, Pharaoh, did you giggle as much as me and Taylor did when uh, Rex and him were talking? He's like, "Yeah, but he's no Skywalker."
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. My dad got that. He was, my dad was laughing. (laughs) He's the whole Skywalker.
3: (laughs) Again, we get Captain Rex and two Jedi. It's not Ahsoka and Anakin and Obi-Wan. We get Ezra and Kanan. And I'm telling you, Kanan is really growing on me. Ezra is really growing Mm -hmm. on me. They Mm -hmm. are really becoming my Jedi team. You know, uh, they're really becoming familiar, especially when you're adding Rex and stuff like that. And he's training them the whole time. You know, he's given him direction. Kanan is like the blind master now. He's doing incredible, incredible force jumps. If he could do that force jump back when he fought the the the, the Grand Inquisitor, you know, he would have killed that Grand Inquisitor. He he wouldn't yeah. have had He wouldn't have had to have been defeated by the Grand Inquisitor so many times. He has grown so much in his Jedi master abilities. It's given Ezra the ability to grow. And I'm just loving yeah. the way that the dynamic here uh, between them and just adding Rex, it just brings that familiar tone. you know and and who th- who would have thought that Rex is the comedy relief? of the team. <laughs> he was never that. He was so serious in the Clone Wars. Here, he's comedy relief.
2: Yeah, there You know, there was a, a, another moment that stood out to me in Gavin uh, with Chopper, when Chopper's running. He does this run with his third leg, the one that drops down. The one that looks like it's like a, a shopping cart wheel, but when you're watching him run around, it's apparent that that wheel has a drive all of its own, because his other legs are kind of like dangling behind him like it's a cape. It's kind of like, it's like he's a, a motorized unicycle, if you will. The aspect about these To being the jedi dream team i mean for the first time ever i find that this era is got more going on for it has my interest my total focus than any other era normally i've always been a luke skywalker current moment and right now that era isn't working so much for me what about you padawans what is your current new canon favorite era to play in
1: obi-wan and anakin was or well anakin and ahsoka well, they're, they're, they're all kind of a team. They they were a great team in the Clone Wars. They really worked together, and they got through everything. You know, they got through, like, every challenge that that um, came to them. And Ezra and Kanan, you know, we're just... This is, you know, new, so it's like we're just getting used to them. But I think Ezra and Kanan, they're... I don't know, to me, they're more like... Because Ezra, Ezra makes a lot of jokes. They're a little bit more, like, relatable to me. So I I, I think I'm more with Ezra and Kanan.
5: For me, Anakin and Ahsoka, like, they were the ones that I grew up with. And so Kanan and Ezra, I feel like I have to get used to them more. And just having growing up with Ahsoka and them, it's going to be a little bit for me to get actually used to Kanan and Ezra.
2: So would you say then for you, if, if Ahsoka came back from the Malachor Sith Temple and played a bigger role, you might enjoy that a, a little more then?
5: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm in the Last
4: Jedi era. Uh, but other than that, I, yeah, I'm definitely more of an Obi-Wan fan, though. Although Anakin's very annoying, so that makes it kind of hard to deal with. Yeah, Ray and Luke, whatever's going on there.
2: The one thing I wanted to touch on was the lack of Ray Sloan and the addition of Captain Brunson. I think this may actually be the second time we've seen Captain Brunson. She was the captain of that cruiser. When she first shows up, I kept immediately wondering, you know, is this Ray Sloan? It's the perfect time frame for Ray Sloan. Now, Ray Sloan in the books later becomes the Grand Admiral that's in charge of the last fledging aspects of the Empire. And as we learn in Empire's End, the third aftermath book is who's in charge when the First Order gets kind of created uh so i kept i'm waiting for her to show up and this was a character model that could have easily been that but instead they made it captain brunson
4: what do we really know about ray sloan during well when the empire actually existed as a whole uh i mean i I don't know what we really know to know where she might be You don't learn about
2: her till later and most of the stuff it's it's all seen from uh aftermath point of view for the majority she shows up in other books she's had some minor roles this era she would kind of probably be more an ensign i don't know if she even have a captaincy yet, but if she would, I would think one of those smaller ships would be the ones.
3: One of the things I really liked in this episode, Padawans, is Sabine and her jetpack. I've been calling for this jetpack for two, three seasons now. She finally gets the jetpack. She's using it. She is a Mandalorian in the sky. It is beautiful.
1: My dad was cheering whenever the part came out, and she's all jumping around with her backpack. It was, it was. It was, it was
3: great. She even chides Ezra. Like, he says, I should have one of these, or something like that. And he's like, yeah, you should. And boom, <laughs> flies off. But it's great to see Sabine acting like a Mandalorian with that jetpack, and, and in future episodes, we're going to even see more of Sabine. This is just a taste of what we're going to get with these jetpacks, and it's great. I love it. Just painted it all up and
2: stuff. Captain, our rocket trooper suffered heavy losses. How heavy? We lost them all. Like, oh, yeah, that's heavy, all right. <laughs>
3: Let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts, Padawans.
1: Um, I thought these episodes were pretty good. <clears throat> I thought the first one was mainly filler kind of building up to it, but uh, the part two had a lot of action. And, um, they were both solid episodes, though. I mean, they both go together as a whole. One thing that I didn't like about the second episode, though, is because of the the ending. The ending of, I mean, you know, they went on this big adventure with the the click-clack, and then click-clack just has the egg and crawls in a hole under a rock and just goes off, and then that's it. Like... I don't know. That was the dumbest ending in a Rebels episode for me, because the thing just like it lifts up a rock and crawls under it. Yeah,
3: didn't Click Clack get crushed? He was in the same cave they were that got collapsed, so they end up crushing the queen egg anyway. For me, these episodes really brought a closing to the Geonosis. We don't have to go back to Geonosis now. We've been there, we know the Death Star plans came from there. We know that the species built it from the books, from, from Nathan, from Catalyst. We know that they built the Death Star there above Geonosis. We've been there two times fighting. We've been there two times when there wasn't any fighting. We don't need to go back to Geonosis anymore. We're done. And I don't want to see it again. I, don't, I really don't. <laughs> I mean, the, for me, there's no reason to go back here. Shut the door. Let's move on. Saga Rare kept my interest. So I would say this was a six or a seven.
1: Uh, I would probably rate it, yeah. Like, yeah, six or a seven. Um, I think more of a seven is around there. I, I, I like these episodes. I
4: thought they were okay. I mean, I don't know. I feel like they could have done something with the with the animation to make it better. Or and I don't know if that was something they cut out because they couldn't figure out how to do the animation for it or, or something like that. So it, it felt a little lacking in, in that regard that he wasn't right. And it sort of made sort of the whole episodes feel a little bit not right. But I mean, I think it's just sort of funny at the end of it. They, the guy's showing him the Death Star, but they have no idea what it, where it is. And we all know, the people on the show don't know, and I I don't know, I sort of wonder if we'll ever see the Death Star not
3: in Rebels. I kind of hope not. Oh, we're definitely going to get the Death Star in Rebels. There's so many, so much Rebels in Rogue One that towards the end of the Rebels series here, it's going to have to probably culminate with with Scarif. I would think that the Scarif battle is probably where the Ghost Crew is going to meet their end. So we are probably definitely going to see the Death Star in Rebels. I, I, I'm making that prediction right now.
2: Oh, but how cool would it be if Rebels continues on all the way past Empire Strikes Back and we actually get to see this, oh, this Rebel cell?
3: Oh, not going to happen.
4: Oh, uh, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs>
3: not going to happen.
2: I mean,
4: it's, it, the most it could possibly have would be a season five. Because I think, I don't know, I feel like it should do a, a Mandalorian spin-off of Sabine. That should be the way they go.
3: I, I think that I think I really think that the Battle of Scarif was the end of our Ghost Crew, and that'll be the end of this series. would be the Battle of Scarif, because how else would this crew die? But in the battle to get the Death Star plans, I mean that would be the ultimate sacrifice for these people, for our for our heroes. If that was
2: the case, why would Mon Mothma tell Bail to go get his Jedi friend when you've got two already fighting in the battle?
3: That's why they've already died. Just let Jake, it happen. We know that is still alive and the ghost is still there and Chopper and, and Chopper are there. Far as the rest of the crew, Zeb, Sabine, Ezra, and Kanan, they could already be dead. Yeah, yeah. And, and most of them probably are.
5: It's been a while since I've legit watched whole focus this up these two episodes and stuff. I mean we overviewed it today, but like um it's in between a 7 and a 5. They could have just made it one full episode instead of having it's two separate ones. So, yeah.
2: So a solid 6 right there between a 5 and a 7. <laughs> I love that love the way you did that.
5: Well, we were just looking at pictures of Saw from Rogue 1 and he looks like him, but he also doesn't at the same time. And so it's just like a blend of both of the characters into
2: one. Yeah, it's really hard to buy he gets that old. from. We're, yeah. we're looking at him in Rebels, and then we're looking at a picture of him next to the Clone Wars version of him. And you think about Rogue One and this, and we're, what, a, a two-, four-year difference here? Maybe even less time than that? I mean, he goes gray pretty fast.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, it could be the the combination of the Poison and
1: Borgallant. <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw um, I saw Clone Wars Saw, and he—that's not Saw.
2: That's
1: like that's that's like I don't even That's scene.
3: That's <laughs> not Saw. That's so
1: exactly. That's Sue. That's uh, it. Looks like Childish Gambino with a slick back. <laughs> yes.
2: It does. So I, I'm also a negative Nancy, I guess, in this regard. I, I, you know, the more I watched it, the less I cared for it. Um, I think if I was have to rank it, I would give it a three. I feel like it, it definitely didn't need to be two parts. I think that what they were trying to do was build suspense in the first half, and they drug out a story that didn't need to be told. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think it was kind of necessary to make Saw look bad, but at the same time, the difference in character models as well as the fact that he just doesn't quite sound as crazy as he does. I think saw already looked bad. You know the the good things about this, of course, are are the Jedi angles. You know that moment when they get the shield generator out, and we're watching Sabine and Zeb tiptoe through the army and stuff. Like that was cool. But I'm still not a fan of hey, let's shoot the uh, the blast door or shoot the little button that that turns everything on and off. And it automatically means you've pressed the button. I mean, yeah, why does that work? Sho- yeah, like if you shot that thing and <laughs> click clack turned everything on, then you have just screwed everybody <laughs> on the surface. They're not gonna shut off until they're dead. Like so. It's- it turns, everybody, like
3: it, it turns everybody with a blaster into the fawns.
2: Yeah, exactly. So there were little things like that. And then the, the the aspect of them going down in that tunnel that seemed like such a stupid maneuver, and yet they managed to turn it and flip it on the script where Harris like, I'm just going to blaze through them. I'm like, oh, my God, she's Kamikaze Hera. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, it worked. But at the same time, I'm like, Hera, I thought we cared about our ship. Like, you've got your ship down a straw where they're dropping rocks from the top. You're going to have to go through the rocks. Rocks and ships do not mesh well. I thought we've learned this lesson. Clearly we haven't. You know, it doesn't matter how many times we destroy the Phantom, we're going to get a new one. She doesn't <laughs> care. Like, I, Clearly she's a little more spoiled than they let us on to believe because Dad has money. I don't know. I mean, that, that was something to me, like, it just didn't sit right there. I did like the aspect of the family, but again, they played that suspense side up so much that I was in the same boat as you guys. I was feeling on the dark side. I was, I was like, just kill the egg. Just smash it. The only good bug's a dead bug, as Johnny Rico would say. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a cap. Like I said, I think this was a closure to Geonosis, and we do not have to go back there anymore. Amen. So with that, we want to thank Nathan P. Butler for giving us a continuity quarter. We're bringing the continuity quarter back, huh? Only took us 12 episodes, but continuity quarter is back. We want to thank Glenn, who is now our official special events reporter he's gonna be reporting for us at star wars celebration orlando what is that april 13th is the day it starts uh yeah are you excited because i seem a little bit more excited than you right now glenn i'll be excited i'm the only thing i'm not excited about is the food but uh i'll handle that glenn we really appreciate you going and covering this for us and all of our padwans and all the jedi masters and the padawans listening right now you have a lot on your shoulders right now glenn you need to do a lot of training keep up the blast shield don't put the blast shield down practice your dejeric and uh we are looking
2: practice practice dropping down onto one knee so you have a padawan's perspective
3: (laughs) (laughs) we are looking we are very much looking forward to your report uh we're gonna like you said you're gonna try to get into the rebels panel and see a few other things We will be talking to you very soon, Glenn. All right. I will talk to you guys after Celebration.
2: So that wraps up this episode of the Padawan's Perspective. We'd like to thank Glenn for coming on and everyone who joined us today. You can find our episodes directly on the Star Wars Report website, 2nd Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Support.com. and before we go we wanted to mention your audible trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about audible has more than 100,000 titles for you to explore titles from the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because all audible members can exchange any book within 12 months that's one year when no questions asked so in this digital age if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook audible just might be right for you So, for the Padawan's Perspective, this has been Mark. Wait,
3: wait, one second. I almost forgot. I almost forgot one thing. We need to announce our winner from the contest.
2: That's a big (gasps) thing! We have a winner?
3: We have a winner. Now, we had some... If you don't remember, our contest is from War Machine Marketing. They sponsored a contest to give one of our lucky winner a lucky listeners a custom three and three-quarter inch action figure of themselves fully articulate we had some pretty good entries in our contest mark what we did was my Padwan and i took the names of everyone who entered the contest people who submitted a drawing or a haiku just to open up the contest to 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 as many people people as possible. We put everybody's name into my Vader hat, we pull the name out, and DeMar Douglas is our winner.
5: Oh my gosh, I know them!
3: Demar Douglas, he actually submitted the picture of the Jawa.
5: I'm just kidding. I have no idea who they are, but that was <laughs> funny. I started laughing at <laughs> my own thing.
2: No, I, I, I remember that picture of the Jawa. That was one sick Jawa.
3: Yeah, it was one sick Jawa, so he won. So, Damar, go ahead and uh, contact us through Facebook. I will be sending you a message, and we'll go ahead and get that figure out to you. So.
5: Congratulations. Congratulations.
3: Let's give a our first contest. A round of applause. How about that?
2: How about that? It's official. We're la- we're clapping in a circle. You have the official scouting <laughs> round of applause <laughs> <laughs> for the Padawans' perspective. This has been Mark Taylor, Barron,
1: Pharaoh,
4: and rarely Glenn.
5: <laughs> so till next time, I'm sure everything will go horribly wrong. <laughs> <I knew laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to our show. For more content, please like our Facebook and Twitter pages. Theme song by Subconscious Tunes. Announcements by Brock. Sponsored by War Machine Marketing. Remember, you can find the Padawan Perspective and all the Star Wars Report Second Airborne podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com.
4: just disappointed that I didn't manage to buy the Hayden Christensen and Ian McDermott photo op before it sold out. I didn't expect it would sell out that fast.
2: It went um, fast, fast.
4: Well, I mean, that was still up to... I mean, the there's Hayden, all that stuff went real fast, but, you know, the uh, the I figured the two of them would, would stick for a little bit longer, and I went today to go look at it, and it's already sold out. It's like, oh, I guess I should have paid, bought it yesterday.
3: Oh, um, man. If I had the chance to meet Hayden Christensen, the one thing I would have him sign would be his Rotten Tomatoes percentage meter from that. <laughs> It'll be on like an Adam oh, Sandler man, movie on like, on
1: like 12%.
3: Yeah, I, I'd frame but, it with, his, with some of his tears.